Thank you, Dwayne. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to switch over control to the laptop up front. Uh, hope you are enjoying the springtime. Spring is about new life, birth, and growth. Um, there's a story of a little boy one day who just said to his dad, Dad, where did I come from? And uh, the dad heard the question, and he's, he's like, oh, no, this is, this is the question. This is the big question. What do, what do I do? So he launches into this long explanation of the birds and the bees, right? And then at the end of it, his son says, that's great, Dad, but my friend Johnny says he comes from New York. Where did I come from? <laughs> Well, we are going to talk about new beginnings and new growth, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, Priscilla was making dinner, and she made some baby bok choy, and so she cut off the ends of it, and it's like, oh, well, what can I do with this? You know, so I took it, and I stuck it in some water, in a little tub of water, and I just left it in the sunshine, and about a week later, this is what happened. So, oh, that's pretty cool. Look, little additional baby bok choy. <laughs> and then I did the same to romaine lettuce, and that's what happened. And then this is what happened to Napa cabbage. Wow. It's pretty cool, huh? This shows us that in every living thing that God has created is the potential for new life, for the continuation of what has come before. This is true in plants, in animals in people, and yes, it's true in churches as well. Uh, I enjoy experiencing new things. I don't know about you. I enjoy new clothes. Uh, this is a new shirt. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, restaurants, music, new songs. I think most of us do. Raise your hand if you like new things. A lot of us do. Well, today we're going to talk about new beginnings specifically the birth of the church. We just celebrated the resurrection last week, and we've been following God's story from the beginning of creation through the birth of the nation of Israel, from which the Messiah, Jesus, was to come. He was the focal point. Everything was aiming towards the birth, life, death, and then resurrection of Christ. But then what? What is next on God's agenda? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, don't want to freak you out. Something almost exciting, though, and that is Pentecost, the birth of the church. Now, if you're wondering what relevance this has to you, to us today, right this very moment, I want to tell you that there is a direct link between the birth of the church and Harvest Community Church of Irvine. I want to give you a brief timeline of the history of of the church from Acts 2, Acts chapter 2 to today. So here it is, 2,000 years of church history in less than five minutes, all right? See if we can do this. First thing is the ascension of Christ, 40 days after the resurrection, Acts chapter 1. Second thing, Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The first century church meets in Jerusalem and it grows there. The Bible says that they met in the temple courts day by day. Okay, So the church grows. It grows, in fact, so much that it gets persecuted. 
and a man named Paul, who is a Pharisee and a chief persecutor of the church, meets Christ on the road to Damascus, and that changes the trajectory of the church forever. Paul then goes on three different missionary trips from 46 to 58 AD, and the gospel begins to spread. Pope Linus, the second pope, we would assume, from 67 to 79 AD, becomes the pope, and Christianity spreads west through the Roman Empire. But it also spreads east through Asia Minor, Asia Minor, Greece, and Turkey from the first through the third centuries. In 325 AD, Emperor Constantine converts to Christianity, and it is no longer persecuted. In fact, it becomes the official religion of the state. In 1054 AD, the church experiences its first split. There's a schism, it's called the Great Schism, between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Western Roman Catholic Church. And now there are two centers of the church, one in Constantinople, Turkey, the other in Rome. The church continues to grow, though. And in 1517, a German priest named Martin Luther nails 95 theses to the front door of a cathedral, um, calling out the Catholic Church for selling indulgences, essentially allowing people to pay to have their sins forgiven. This starts the Protestant Reformation, and yet another great explosion in the church happens. From 1500 to the 1900s, several now Protestant denominations are formed out of that. The Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church continue to grow, and they still exist today. But out of the Protestant Reformation, a whole bunch of new denominations begin to grow. Out of that, the Presbyterian Church is formed in Scotland by John Knox, 1560. Getting closer. The Presbyterian Church of the United States is established in 1703. It moves from Scotland, it spreads out, it is established in the United States in 1703. In 1875, the Chinese Presbyterian Church of Los Angeles is established. 1875. Only about a little bit over 100 years after that. In uh, 1980... Well, CPC LA becomes True Light Presbyterian Church, and in 1980, uh, True Light uh, plants Chinese Presbyterian Church of Orange County, also known today as Journey, Journey Evangelical Church. And finally, in 1993, CPC OC plants Harvest Community Church of Irvine, 1993. So there you have it, 2,000 years of church history. <laughs> In last than five minutes. Let's go back to the beginning, the book of Acts. What an amazing narrative we find here. In chapter one, like I said, we find Jesus giving his final farewells to his disciples. After being brutally beaten, nailed to a cross, the cruelest form of slow torture execution known at the time, 
After giving up his last breath and being placed into a tomb only to defy nature and triumphantly exit the tomb, Jesus spends 40 days, a good month or so, with his disciples, and not just the 12, but to hundreds of people with convincing proof of his, of his resurrection from the dead. And then, just 10 days later, later, on what is called the day of Pentecost, God begins the next chapter of his story. It's called Pentecost because it occurs exactly 50 days after the Passover feast is celebrated. Pente is Greek meaning five or 50. And this is the celebration, the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Weeks, which commemorates the giving of the Ten Commandments. And you'll recall that the crucifixion occurred the day uh, before Passover was to begin. And God chooses this day to celebrate the giving of a new gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the birth of the church comes with supernatural power. It's described here in the second chapter of Acts. It says, On the day of Pentecost, they came and they were all together in one place, about 120 disciples together. And it says, Suddenly there was a sound of a blowing wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. And then Peter began to preach from verses 14 through 40. Peter preaches his first sermon ever with power and, and just a lot of the Holy Spirit filling. And I won't go through that whole sermon because that'll be take a whole other hour. But it says... Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. An amazing account. Um, It was such an amazing event that the people who were witnessing it thought the disciples were drunk. That was their only human explanation for what was going on. And Peter's response was fantastic. He says, we're not drunk, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Um, it, I don't know, if, I've never seen a movie about the, the book of Acts, but I think it would be an amazing story. Um, and it's not about the special effects either, although that would be a pretty cool uh, scene. But it's about the impact that God made on a community that began as a small band of frightened blue-collar workers following an itinerant preacher who was miraculously raised from the dead, proving himself to be much more. In fact, proving himself to be the Son of God. Now, this band of followers are given a great supernatural power to declare a message to a listening world that Jesus is the Messiah, who, who claimed victory over death itself and opened a pathway to an eternal relationship with a living God. The result of the witness of the filling of the Holy Spirit and Peter's sermon is that 3,000 people become believers in one day. And the same day, they are baptized into the church. And then the book of Acts records a beautiful picture of what the church looked like after that day. One of the most important passages to the church recorded in Scripture. And here it is. Let's read it together, shall we? Let's read it together. 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. Oh, sorry. I wonder why you stopped reading. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers, saved. The power of the gospel is to save people from their sins and give them a new life. But they're also given a new community, a new family to belong to, a place where God's love is shared freely without hesitation. And God's name and reputation and glory is being increased on a daily basis. It's here at the very beginning that the purpose of the church (coughs) was established. And the purpose of the church is to point people to Jesus. That's the purpose of the church, to point people to Jesus. It's very clear that the primary purpose for the establishment of the church is to give testimony to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ so that people would turn to him and turn their lives to him. Everyone that's come to Christ has come because someone told them the story. It was through Peter's testimony that 3,000 accepted his message and were baptized in one day. Now that mission has expanded through time. Even the first believers began the job of taking care of one another's needs. But the single most important reason for the establishment of the church is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, was falsely tried and condemned to die on a cross, was nailed there, was buried in a tomb, sealed with a massive rock, but was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, claiming victory over death for everyone who would believe in him and believe in his name. Without that as a primary purpose, the church is simply another organization seeking to grow members. We can't forget that. We can't lose sight of that sense of mission or purpose. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a young pastor in pre-World War II Germany. He was quite impacted by his faith and the faith that he saw as he traveled around Europe and the United States. He was also frightened by the growing strength and evil of the Nazi party. And he would eventually join a plan by some high-ranking officers in the German army to assassinate Hitler. It's true. It's a historical fact. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed for his part in the failed attempt on Hitler's life. This is what Bonhoeffer wrote about the church from prison before his execution. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, not, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. This is Harvest's mission statement. 
to cultivate a community of harvesters who are maturing in Christ-likeness and making disciples across generations in Orange County and around the world. Do those two statements reflect the original mission of the church? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. Are we a church, as a church, seeking to fulfill that mission in everything that we do? Well, not only is the, church, the mission of the church to point people to Jesus, it can only do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the book of Acts is often called the book, the Acts of the Apostles, because it chronicles the events surrounding the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem by the apostles. But as you read the narrative, it could also be entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is such an active and vital part of this whole story. Now, it would take too much time to fully explain the theology of the Holy Spirit and what it means what he means in our lives. But as you read the book of Acts, whenever you see the disciples described, you will note that without exception, the Holy Spirit is involved. Jesus told his disciples in chapter 1 of Acts that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter and his disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in in chapter 2 of Acts. As Peter and John were going about Jerusalem, they healed people and preached to thousands and defended themselves against the religious rulers. They were imprisoned and still maintained their powerful testimony because time after time, they were described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What would it look like? Well, I'll ask you, why do you think the Jews thought the disciples were drunk on that first day? And why does Paul write in Ephesians not to get drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's what theologian and pastor John Piper has to say. He says, The fundamental of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with joy that comes from God and overflows in song. And Luke would agree with that too, because he says in Acts 13.52, The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. To be sure, one of the marks of a person filled with the Spirit is that he is made strong to witness in the face of opposition. But the reason for this is that the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you are happy in God, you are a strong and brave witness to his grace. So I repeat, whatever joy or peace you find in alcohol, The Spirit of God can give you more. This certainly would coincide with the picture painted in Acts of the first church, wouldn't it? There is so much joy they shared in the Lord that they loved being together, serving one another. And the people living around them couldn't resist the desire and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to join them, to join this community. What do you think our community would look like if this was true, if every person at Harvest, young and old, man, woman, and child, lived a life filled with the Holy Spirit, that really is our desire here. It really is, that we would reflect the love of God 
to a hurting world. You see, God uses men and women to fulfill his upper story. God uses men and women, plain people like you and I, to fulfill his upper story. Let's take a look at, a closer look at just three of them. We've already met one, and that's Peter. He was a bold coward turned powerful evangelist. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times after declaring that he would die for Christ. This is the same Peter that Jesus came back to after the resurrection after the resurrection, and called to his service, called him back three times in order to restore him fully to his leadership role among the 12 disciples. Now, this is how Acts describes Peter and the rest of the disciples. It says, after they prayed, the place uh, where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There are plenty of examples of how Peter became a powerful evangelist. In Acts 2, in chapter three, chapters 3 and 4, later in chapter 10 and 12, Peter would go on to be one of the key leaders of the church and is recognized by the Catholic Church as being the first pope from whom all other popes derive their authority. And according to church history, Peter would be crucified upside down. What an amazing story of redemption and restoration and sacrifice. Well, next there's Stephen. Stephen was a dedicated servant who became the first martyr. Stephen was one of the seven chosen to help serve tables and wait on widows and orphans as the church in Jerusalem began to grow. These seven are thought of to be the first deacons chosen. A deacon coming from the Greek word for servant. So Stephen was, in essence, one of the first deacons. But he was also the first Christian martyr. Someone who was persecuted and executed for their faith. Now, those of you who serve here as deacons at Harvest, um, please take note Martyrdom is not a prerequisite for serving. But being filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom are. Here's part of Stephen's story. It says in Acts 7, when they, that is the Jewish religious leaders who were uh, arguing with Stephen and listening to his sermon and his preaching on the gospel, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, 
Do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. I see this picture, something very similar to the death of Christ himself. Stephen asked for Christ to forgive them. He asked Jesus to receive his spirit, and then he's gone. One of the people at Stephen's stoning was a young man named Saul, a Pharisee that hated the Christians. But this same Paul, this same Paul, the same man, Paul, Saul, was, his name was changed to Paul, became a, became a powerful friend of Christ. So a hateful enemy becomes a powerful friend. Here's his story. It says in Acts 9, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. The story of Paul by itself could take up a whole series of sermons. And I would encourage you to go and read his story. It's a story about a man who would go on to evangelize much of Asia Minor, through three missionary trips. He would, large, he would write a large percentage of the New Testament. He would himself suffer a martyr's death. This man, who it is said, breathed out murderous threats against the church, would become one of the pillars of the Christian faith. And we will be hearing more about him in the next couple of weeks. Well, there are so many more stories of men and women who gave their lives so that God's upper story would continue from one generation to the next. And we are part of that story today as well. And I believe that God will continue to raise up generation after generation until Christ comes again in this community that we call the church. Everything has a life cycle. We saw that at the beginning. Birth, growth, Maturity, death, and then renewal. Every church since the day of Pentecost has gone through this cycle. Even the Catholic Church itself has experienced this through time. And I believe today that it's experiencing a renewal brought by the Holy Spirit. But the question is, where is harvest in this life cycle? Where are we today? What does harvest look like? When people hear about us, what are they hearing? Are we faithful to fulfill the mission of the church? To point people to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? I do believe that God wants harvest to have its own facility in the very near future. And we are very encouraged as we take steps closer to making that a reality. But even if we did have a building, would it make much difference if God isn't here, 
if God isn't involved in it? Of course not. We then must be earnest to see to it that our lives reflect the filling of the Holy Spirit. That we hunger and thirst for God more and more. That gives us that kind of a joy in the Lord that is irresistible to people when we come when we come in contact with them. And I pray that that is true for us today and will be true and will be continue to be true. That we continue to seek after God and hunger after him and, and ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... Um, showing yourself to us in such a powerful way uh, through the book of Acts. And um, though we know that we are part of that, and we're, we are so thankful and we're so excited that we can see a direct line and a direct link from that first church in that upper room experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit to where we are here today. But Father, I ask that, that you would do a new work in our hearts, that you would revive in us the desire to be filled with your spirit, to live lives that will make an impact in our communities and the people around us. I pray that for us today. I pray that for us as we leave this place. I pray that for us day by day, week by week, year by year, month by month. Because if, we, if we're not doing that, Lord, then why do we exist? We exist for you. We exist for your glory. We exist to point people to Jesus, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing that in each of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name.